Hello, my name is Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. Howdy. Hello, I'm Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Brick by Brick. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Tyler Capson. Tyler is the managing director of EverEdge Global, an intangible asset management firm. He has a bachelor's degree in finance and MBA in corporate strategy. He's dedicated to generating value for ambitious technology entrepreneurs, as well as the world's largest companies. He's talking about the world of intangible assets, something that I think more risk managers need to get their hands around. So let's get to it. Hello, Tyler. Thank you for joining us on Brick by Brick. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Great. I saw you at RIMS and EverEdge and got really interested in intangible asset management. So that's what this episode is going to be about is, as you said, everything that you can't stub your foot on is intangible asset management. And so we're going to talk a lot about that. But before we get started, just to give a little bit of background from you, where do you come from? How did you end up as an intangible asset manager? That's such a 21st century thing. So let's talk about that. I originally started my career as an entrepreneur. I, out of college, started a, a business and tried that out for about five or six years. The good thing is the business is around today, but it wasn't those overwhelmingly, amazingly successful businesses that made me a billionaire. <laughs> but then a lot of my friends went into banking at that time. So I decided, let me see what the banking thing's about. I actually ended up working for Goldman Sachs. And then through some opportunities, I then found the opportunity to go do some work with, with Deloitte as a management consultant. And then from banking into consulting, I preferred consulting. And about seven, eight years ago, I got connected to EverEdge as uh, an intangible asset specialist and have done consulting and management training, valuation services all around intangible asset space. And yeah, that's the journey, how I got into intangible assets. Of course, that's what you tell your mother you wanted to be when you grew up, right? Back <laughs> in the day. I'm sure so many people in school right now have no idea what the jobs will be in 10, 20 years. Yeah, that's our job. We have to keep inventing new ones. On this front, what does that mean? What does someone who is a risk manager right now at a construction company who's talking to project managers who just got done doing that and now are listening to the podcast, what does intangible asset mean to them and how does it play a role into their jobs? If you think about the world as we see it now, anything that you can't touch is intangible. The reason why we focus on intangible assets as a specific asset class is because over the past 45 years, the majority of value of companies, you think of the large Google, Facebook, Apple, the majority of value actually is sitting in things that are not on balance sheet. So it's not the property plan equipment. It's not the inventories. It's the things like the brands, the designs, the software, the confidential information, the platforms that they build. All of those are the intangible assets. And those are the kind of things that really make up the value in most businesses today. And when you think about even a traditional industry such as construction company, a construction company will have approvals and certifications such as compliance with building codes, health and safety regulations. They will have a brand to help customers and suppliers recognize them. They will have confidential information like how they price things, their strategies, their internal processes and systems. And they'll even have content that they've generated and developed things like their written down standard operating procedures, their marketing material, including the website, social media, and things like that. The data that they have about their customers and supplier data, all of that is intangible assets that most managers these days, 
need to be responsible for and it's ever-changing. It used to be easy to say, oh, we have a fixed asset register. Let's go through that. We've got a risk register. Intangible assets, a lot of times now, are being left off of those because they're not really thought of as, oh, this is a valuable asset. Once you look at it that in that way, realizing that a lot of those are what sets one company apart from another, it's competitive advantage. And so that value needs to be protected. And as a risk manager, your job is to minimize the risk and overall any way you possibly can. Right. So one, it's trying to get them to understand this should be part of their risk analysis. These are things that they should be considering as part of their job and part of that touching that. So if you're in construction, it's not just the risk of the project itself. It's working with the marketing team to protect the brand and all these other things. So expanding that risk profile, the risk appetite, as we talk a lot about on this show. But what are the challenges people are running into around that of tracking these intangible assets and the risk exposure to them? It seems like it's a new playbook, like when cybersecurity moved into the space and people had to figure out new ways and new frameworks for managing cyber. Yeah, the most difficult part about assets and intangible assets and why they don't get registered by risk managers is because they aren't focused on by accounting teams. They're not focused on by your CFO. Your CFO isn't going to you saying, hey, this looks like a really important asset we have. Let's make sure that it is protected. And that is actually driven by the accounting standards that we have today. The accounting standards were developed in an industrial age. You think about locomotives and big factories and plant and equipment from 50, 60 years ago. And they said, look, we need to understand how these companies are tracking each other and how they're reporting value. So we're going to come up with accounting standards. Now, those accounting standards are slow to change and move. And intangible assets are accounted for in one of three ways. The first, they're (laughs) ignored completely because they're not identified, like you said. If no one's looking at them, you don't know what to look for. You just ignore it. Second, they're either lumped together in goodwill, which is like a catch-all for, we don't really know where else to put this, so we're going to put this as goodwill. Or last, they're just recorded as a cost because that's what the tax authorities say you need to do. You buy a brand, if you pay $100 for it, it's worth $100. If you buy a, a lead list from a provider and you pay $100 for it, you put the lead list value as $100. But that lead list might be very exclusive, very unique, very special. And it might be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to that contracting company because it might be a competitor's that went out of business, their whole client list. Right. The only thing you can really say for certain about the intangible assets and how they're viewed and, and valued today is, is it's probably wrong. And so risk managers need to take that extra step to do, like you said, properly identify what assets that company has and then look at the strengths and weaknesses of those assets and see what they can control and what they can't control. Yeah, this is so fascinating. What tools and models does EverEdge use to help utilize, value the assets? And then what are some of those ways that people can actually risk mitigate? We go through a process that we break down into 12 different categories of intangibles. And going through the process of saying, okay, it's kind of like a training exercise saying, this is category one. Do you have this? Do you not have this? And then go down one or two steps deeper into each of those categories. It's kind of like an internal inventory or an internal audit on all the intangible assets that a company has. That's how we work with companies and go through that process. And we call it our foundation process to set up the foundation of saying, here's what you have. Here's the strategies you should now put in place to protect the assets that you have, reduce risks, and hopefully increase revenues and monetization options and things like that. So for companies that don't understand this process, I would say walk through a whiteboarding exercise and write down all the intangible assets that you think are important and say, does our company have those? It's a quick and easy way. In a few hours, you can at least get 
scratch the surface in terms of identifying those assets that are most important to a business. Does accounting for these help evaluations of organizations or selling price of organizations? Is this things that people are actually bringing to the table when they sell their organization at this point in time? Or is that where this is leading to? Because I saw a very interesting stat on your website where 17% of a company's assets 60 years ago or whatever stat it was, or 77%, some kind of stat where it said, now it's shrunk by over 5%, over by 5x, right? What companies are valuing about themselves are not the tangible assets, which you mentioned at the top of the show. Is that meaning that doing this process can put you in a better set, uh, position for being acquired or for valuing your business? Because this is a big thing that's happening in the construction industry and property management where companies are coming together or one company is buying another one to continue to grow? And is this a thing that can really help those negotiations? Absolutely. If you think of it as you're going out to sell a business like a garage sale, you can compare it to somebody who has set up a storefront and properly labeled all of their stuff and said, look, this antique lamp is really good. Here's the heritage. Here's the history. This is where it came from. Therefore, it's a $500 lamp. Right. Okay. Without doing that process and going in and identifying all those assets that are off balance sheet. Okay. So your customer list, your relationships, those networks, key clients, key projects. If you don't do that, it's similar to storage wars. You say, hey, here's the storage container. Who will pay me 500 bucks? Who will pay me 550? (laughs) It's a very different negotiation process. If you just say, hey, here's the company. Here's a little bit of information about it. And we're just going to look at fixed assets, looking at the outside. But if you take the time and effort to go in and label everything, you're going to get a much better price overall. And the buyer in today's business, you know, when you buy a company, you have to go through what's called a purchase price allocation process. It means, okay, I just bought your business. Now I need to ascribe a price to everything I paid. If I don't go through the process and put pricing on the websites, the content, the relationships, the confidential information, any of those assets, they all, again, end up in goodwill. And if you don't do that, then when you go to sell your business, the next buyer is just going to go, I'm not going to pay for goodwill. That means you pay too much for the last purchase. Yeah, right. (laughs) So your goodwill just gets lost. And that's the worst place you want to end up with value. That's really neat. For a long time, of course, being in tech and in marketing and my background, we talk about the intangible value of things. And it's always interesting to see when these ideas that we talked about 20 years ago, which, I mean, this stuff existed then too, obviously, but is now being valued so highly that there's organizations that actually come in and help you set this up and trying to essentially create new accounting practices for you to account to this. Where do you think in the next 10 to 15 years, where do you see this industry going and just the whole whole idea of AI technologies and all this other stuff coming into play? What are some of your predictions or things that are exciting you? I think if you look at traditional history of assets that are hard to identify and hard to value, but you go back just valuing a company and being able to break it up into its shares and then valuing its shares before a stock market, that was hard to value, right? And then things like options came around. Well, how do you value options? And then once people understood that there's methodologies to identify price it and the Black-Scholes model put a mathematical way to value options, now options are traded and sold and there's a market for them. Even things like mortgages, people thought they're unique, they're different, but you can't really sell mortgages because every house is different. We found out the hard way, bottling those up and trying to sell them. There is now markets and exchanges for groups and envelopes of mortgages and things on exchanges. I think intangible assets will be similar in that once people understand how to package them up, start finding the metrics that are correlated, data sets are already being sold between companies. 
customer lists have been sold. And I think as those get packaged up in ways that people can validate the authenticity, the value of them, and they can then be transferred from one party to another, they will become traded securities similar to others that we see. And AI is just one of those elements that is going to help find those connections. It's going to say, okay, what is the correlation to a company with a brand that has high NPS scores and has more than X amount of recurring customers in its book? Okay, that brand is going to be valued in this category. So therefore, its value compared to this brand is higher or lower. And I think AI is going to make those associations much faster, much, much easier because it'll be machines that are making those correlations of value than humans. So I think AI will change a lot about how we value assets and how we look at companies. Fascinating. Risk managers listening to this right now are probably thinking, okay, that sounds cool. I understand. We can do an, uh, we can do an asset call foundation, as you said, and go through that list. What are some of the couple really tactical things people can do to reduce the risk and exposure they have in some core assets? Start an intangible asset register alongside the company's fixed asset register. Start an intangible asset register. And this can include things that are identified in the company as trade secrets or Mm -hmm. confidential information, especially for uh, going back to just the construction company. Identifying how you do your processes and how you do things that are different than other companies. Sometimes people think, oh, that's just how we do business. And if you don't protect it, your employees and your company is likely to not protect it or value it either. But if you go to the point and say, okay, we've now registered our process on an internal intangible asset register, and we've told everyone in the company, hey, if this is on the register, guys, we need to make sure that it is looked at, it is protected, and you do not share it, and it is not your property. Then if an employee leaves, they have been told and instructed, oh, actually, that process, I can't just go and take it to the next company that I work at because it was actually instructed to me that is a a proprietary trade secret or confidential information. And trade secret acts are becoming stricter and stricter, which is preventing people from taking those types of that type of information from one employer to the next. So I would say that's a good tool to start with that register and start with the education of the importance of these assets to the team and to your companies so that they actually start taking it serious. And that's a good first step. That makes so much sense to me. I have been part of a few registries like that. And one of the things that does happen just from my background, that as soon as you do put it on that list and say that it's valuable, the attention that it done then does receive from employees is much higher. People pay much more attention to it as part of your value. Working in a lot of consulting organizations, that's been our process or the way that we come to our scoping as an example. And, and I'm sure that's across every industry. You have those moments that just seem to, as you said, business is how we do it, but that business and how you do it is valuable. It's yeah. learned, it's expensive information and should be protected. Yeah, and taking that a bit further, I mean, we teach this as called the white picket fence principle. Somebody can come up to your property, you build a house, but if you put a nice little picket, white picket fence around it, you might keep dogs and mailmen and, and people coming on your property. If someone maliciously wants to come in and take something, they can still get in easily. But even just the act of putting up a tiny white picket fence around your property is going to keep out 99% of people from yeah. just walking across and just taking something that might be left out on your porch or something. So it's the same concept in the business. And 
What it also does is it, it leads the way for commercialization of unique properties of a business. As a risk manager, you think, oh, these are the assets and processes that are important to us. We need to protect them. Now, you take that another step further and say, once we identify that it is, has value, we say, would this be valuable to another company? And then you say, well, could we trademark this? Could we copyright a manual that it becomes our process? And then you have these famous matrices, the BCG matrix, and you have the GE management training packs and things that they've generated. Those then become industry standard that they license to other entities and other institutions and other groups. And it's a way to generate additional revenue. Once you've identified that it has value, you can take the steps needed to protect it and monetize it. Yeah. One thing we always ask every guest before we end the episode is for advice, advice to your younger self, advice to someone getting out of college, looking to make a career change. A lot of people are doing that this day and age. What's your advice for taking on a new opportunity, for furthering your career, and for being successful? I think being flexible to follow what you enjoy is important. I thought, look, let's go and go ahead and start a business and run that. And I said, you know, it worked out a little bit and then end up into banking. I wanted to try that out. And I realized every step that I took, I learned a little bit more and got a little bit better. And by having a broader experience and broader education, now when I apply it to a consulting angle, it is much more applicable because I see it from much more angles. Get as much experience in diverse fields as possible. If you're a student and you think, I'm going to be an investment banker, I'm going to be an investment banker, take an art history class because something that you wouldn't normally do, just expand your views because people that, what is going to be unique and different, I think, when AI is going to be able to generate your standard consulting answers, it's going to be the human creativity to be able to make connections that are not typically connectable, saying, whoa, well, in my art history class, I realized that the accounting standards have changed because of this and that. And you go, whoa, that's where the real value is going to come. It's going to be humans. The insight's going to come from us, from that. Yes. I completely agree with you. I am a big fan of, although I've been a consultant many years and in tech and executive and tech organizations, I value people who are generalists and can pull their knowledge to the specific problem quite frequently. We get a lot of good answers on the cast. One of them is curiosity, which this is kind of is, but I think learning how to connect the dots from the different elements of your life, that integration makes you a much stronger candidate to take on what the future is going to have in store for us, which seems to be pretty awe-inspiring, good or bad. I, I don't know yet, but we'll see. Yeah, definitely uh, excited to see what comes. I would say last good piece of advice that I was given that I always follow is never turn down a breast mint. <laughs> I like that too. And the reason is, is you never really know the reason for it. And so if someone extends offer to help you with something, if someone offers a word of advice, just say yes and see where it goes. Yeah. And I think that's been a, a good shape. And I think risk managers and looking at, hey, when someone so offers you a little bit of advice to try to look at your business, your angle, your job a little bit differently, open your mind and just say, okay, let's see where this goes. Yeah, the number one characteristic of if someone enjoys working with a risk manager in an organization is their flexibility to see the forest, not just the tree, right? Obviously, the tree is important if it's right in front of you, but you need to be aware that you're in a forest, right? So uh, wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Tyler. I really appreciate you coming on the cast and talking about such an interesting topic. And I look forward to following your journey. All right, hey, thank you, Jason. I appreciate the time. Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. Find out how TrustLayer manages risk 
so that the people can build the physical world around us, head over to TrustLayer.io. And then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the TrustLayer team, thank you for listening.